Hello, everybody. I'm Jim B. North. I'm here right now with Rick Flint, and my upcoming book is Unsung Heroes Wear No Cape, 12 Essential Virtues for an Extraordinary Life. And what do you say? Let's get started and talk about it. You're listening to Rick Flint. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. And now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hi everyone, welcome on in. Our guest today is not only an author, he is a speaker. He has a website. His name is Jim B. North. That's B as in Boston, www.jimbnorth.com. And his upcoming book as an award-winning writer is called Unsung Heroes Wear No Capes, 12 Essential Virtues for an Extraordinary Life. Unsung Heroes Wear No Capes, 12 Essential Virtues for an Extraordinary Life. And in this book, he explores the concept of what it really means to be a helper of others. Jim maintains that everyone is capable of being an unsung hero with little inspiration and direction using the character virtues that all of us possess. Jim, come on in here. Welcome and thank you for being patient as we got this show together. I appreciate your uh, your patience. People at home don't know what I'm talking about, but we'll explain it, won't we? Yes, thanks, Rick. I really appreciate you having me on. Really That's a pleasure. quite all right. Thanks so much. You were scheduled, I think it was nine days ago. We contacted one another, and I picked up the line and said hello. And I was in no, I had my annual, well, not annual, it's been about five years, but I had some type of a virus, I think, that had gotten in me. And it caused me when you and I hung up the phone and came canceled that taping caused me to sleep for like 16 hours that day. I, it was not a good sight. I did nothing but rest. The second day, I didn't eat food the first day at all. The second day, I had a bowl of soup, chicken soup, and that was all I had the entire <laughs> second day. By the third day, I was actually in pretty decent shape. Now we're like nine days later, and I'm feeling very good. The whole virus thing is gone, and I, I'm I'm just glad I made it out okay. Thank you for being patient with me, Jim. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm glad you got that chicken soup for the soul. That's great. Oh, yes. And well, it was homemade, too, which is the only way when you're sick. You know that's right. <laughs> that's right. All righty, Jim, you are an author and a speaker. You've been working on this unpublished at the moment book for how long now? Has it been years or months or what? It's been a year and a half, maybe a little better, but it will be uh, published here in a few months, probably three to four months. Excellent. And once again, everyone, that book is called Unsung Heroes Wear No Capes. They don't go in to a phone booth <laughs> and change into pantyhose and fly through the air. Not all of those heroes wear the capes. And 12 Essential Virtues for an Extraordinary Life in which you explore the concept of what it means to be a helper of others. Now, I wanted to start for example, with a story that I know you have, because everybody told me to ask you to tell me the story about a little town in Ohio. It's actually on the Ohio River. It's a town called Ripley, Ohio, and that was the scene of the Underground Railroad, which I think most of us know all about. And you have a tale about a white male that put a lot 
on the line to help the slaves on the Underground Railroad. Do you have that story in your mind fresh? I absolutely do. And what Very was fresh. that gentleman's name? What was his name? His name was John Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N. He had a family. He wound up having nine boys, four girls. He was married to his wife, Jean, and he purchased a little house. You say he was fully invested is what you were referring Absolutely, he was. His entire life was geared toward friendship, toward the slaves at that time. Ripley is the most beautiful little town. You know, it's only 50 miles from you uh, there in Cincinnati. And anyone that ever gets anywhere near Ripley ought to be drawn in by the magnetism of that little town and just give yourself a treat of spending an afternoon or a morning or a day uh, exploring Ripley and learning more about it. But John Rankin purchased a little tiny house on top of a 500-foot block, and he did it for one reason only. Now, this would have been around the year 1820. I've seen it 1825. I've also seen it 1828. But right around in there, he purchased that little house for one reason, and that was to help the slaves on the Kentucky side cross that river uh, to freedom in Ripley. Now, most agree that Ripley, now this according to John Parker, who was a black man in, in Ripley, called Ripley the terminus of the Underground Railroad. In fact, the name Underground Railroad in all likelihood originated in Ripley. Oh, I didn't know that. That's where the actual name, yeah, I've been to Ripley, and it's a very historic small town. And you're right. It's right there on the Ohio River. It's on the outskirts of Cincinnati. And on the other side is of the river is Kentucky. And that's right near a town in Kentucky called Maysville, Kentucky, which is the home of uh, Rosemary Clooney, the late Rosemary Clooney. I believe she was out of Maysville, Kentucky. The Clooney sisters. And that would be, of course, George Clooney's father was Rosemary's brother. So, yes, that's uh, I'm most familiar with that area there. And uh, but Ripley, I had no idea was that intertwined, if you will, with the Underground Railroad. And I wanted to get this story out because this is in the middle right now as we speak. We're in the middle of Black History Month. And here is a tale about a Caucasian male who, had he gotten caught doing what he was doing at the Underground Railroad, number one, he would have been fined. Would he have been subject to incarceration had he been uh, caught or you don't know? Oh, absolutely. He had threats on his life constantly, and he wound up having to clear the trees for quite a bit of the surrounding part around his house because that little house became known throughout the region, even in Kentucky and Ohio. The the slave catchers knew that house, and John Rankin was a threat. Now, he helped Rick 2,000 slaves to freedom. Wow, 2,000. He did it under constant threat and danger, and his wife also was threatened. You know, his sons helped him. Now, let me give you a little snippet here that once a slave crossed that river and climbed that hill. Now, I mean, have you seen the house, Rick? I don't think I have seen the house, but I've been through Ripley on more than one occasion. It's just I didn't stop to get out and read the plaques of every house that I passed. I may have. Well, it takes a bit to get up there. But the way this is situated, he bought that house for one reason, because he could see over to the Kentucky side. He could also see the village below. And that was so important because just because a slave crossed the river didn't mean they were safe and they were free. And so slave catchers were combing the town constantly. You know, they'd be on horseback, they'd have their flames, their torches lit, uh, looking for slaves. And so these slave catchers would be paid a bounty for 
for capturing and returning that slave back over to the other side again. And so what Rankin was able to see down below in that village was any kind of activity like that. And so this is what became the code, is that if it was safe for a slave to cross that river, he lit a lamp and he put it in the window of his little house. If that lamp was lit, it was safe to cross. And if it wasn't lit, they didn't cross. This worked to the tune of 2,000 slaves, never, not a one ever being lost. Now, how did they literally cross the river? On a, on a flatbed boat, on a barge, uh, on little tiny boats? Uh, uh, how did that happen? Well, uh, I'm sure all kinds of ways, but I will tell you that, I mean, the, the fascinating story here, Rick, the connection with Cincinnati, Ripley and Cincinnati were integral part of this going on. And it wound up being that there was a young lady by the name of Harriet Beecher who lived in Cincinnati and was studying at the time at Lane Seminary in Cincinnati in the Walnut Hills district of the city. And she wound up going to Ripley, visiting John Rankin at his house. And John Rankin gave her, I'm going to give you an example of how one, one lady crossed the river. John Rankin relayed to Harriet Beecher, the story of a young mother and her baby that crossed that river, and she tied a railroad tie around her waist. Now, I, I can't explain exactly how that worked, but she fell through the ice several times, and she kept having to place her little baby on the ice to keep the baby elevated above the water. She crossed that river, and by the time that she got to the other side, she was so exhausted that she collapsed on the other side, and she looked up, and there was Chance Shaw, a slave catcher. No, no. Yeah. She looked up, but he had watched her the whole way. He Mm. saw her fight for life, and he was so moved and impressed that he said, anyone that would do what you just did deserves their freedom. And this slave catcher pointed up to the little house. He said, up there. Go to that house. You'll get the help you need. And that was John now, Rankin's was house. He pointed to John, John Rankin's Rank- house. Yeah. Harriet Beecher. Was her name also Harriet Beecher Stowe? S-T-O-W-E? A, a few year, years later, she married and became Harriet Beecher Stowe. Now, she wrote her book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, in 1852, all right? There we go. That's um, that's where I'd heard of her, certainly. Yes, and she put that door in her book. I'll be darned. Then what happened to her when the slave catcher released her? He pointed to Rankin's home up on the hill and he said, that's where you need to go. And off she went with her baby. With her baby. Now, she already knew about the little house because some uh, a stranger on the Kentucky side told her she needed to go to that house. Oh, well, this house had a reputation. Oh, it absolutely had a reputation. And slave catchers more than once surrounded that house. Uh, one There was a time where they actually went in and Rankin wasn't home. Another time when they surrounded his wife when he wasn't home. And so the threats were real. And he had a rifle above the door jam of his front door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, he pastored a Presbyterian church there in town 44 years. And he said, it's, it's as much my duty to defend my home as it is for me to go, you know, pray or, or preach or anything else. Uh, it was his duty to protect these slaves. And the theme, Rick, is friendship. He was a friend to those people. Did he know them all and all their background? No, that's not what it takes to be a friend. But he was. And um, so when she, there were the final ascent to the front door of the Rankin home, there are 100 steps. They called it the 100 Steps to Freedom. And those steps began about one half to one uh, or two thirds up the hill. The final 100 steps became known as the 100 Steps to Freedom. And now uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, when she put the story in her book, she assigned the name Eliza to the mother. Don't know the name of the babe. Eliza is in the book, um, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Now, she knocks at the front door. Rankin and his wife let her in. They never here was part of the secret sauce is that they knew they could not tear 
for the slaves more than two to three hours. So they would feed the slave, they would clothe the slave, they would care for the slave, and then Rankin's sons would escort, accompany the slave out the back of the property further north on the Underground Railroad. This was called the Ripley Line. And they say it was the most, probably the most prominent Underground Railroad route, period. And so it led eventually on up to Oberlin, which is a whole nother story, and it's an interesting one also. Uh, but she went in the house. She was cared for by the Rankins, and her his sons took her out the back of the property further north on the railroad. She wound up settling in southern Ohio, but she wasn't happy to keep that blessing of freedom to herself. She later went back, in danger of her own life, back to Kentucky and brought more family members out. Oh, my. The and did it again. She did it again. She did it again. Oh, my. Now, when the sons of Rankin, after she had been there and others were there for, let's say, two hours, that they fed them, they clothed them, and then the sons had to get those slaves out of there, were they literally in an underground tunnel, or was that on top of ground, on horseback or in carriages, or how were they literally traveling? Was it un- Were you not able to see? them or were these hidden tunnels nobody knew about or can you describe that they were not hidden tunnels it's just that that figure of speech underground railroad it, it became the the thing that they most likely this this is the account that i've heard that in 1831 there was a slave named tice davis and he disappeared into Ripley. And he was the second slave that had disappeared into Ripley. And the slave catcher said, wow, it's as if they disappear into a underground railroad. Oh. <laughs> so and so oh. the slave catcher that came up with that name, uh, which stuck. But no, they were either on, on foot or, you know, horseback or something like that. No better than that, I can say. Let me ask you this, Jim. Were there any people of color, quote unquote, who were involved in the slave movement at all, perhaps hired helpers doing, doing that? I was told that it was not all the white man's business, but I have no idea if that's true or not. Well, you know, it's it's so startling to hear some of this because, you know, when people... I'm going to get to answer your question in a little bit roundabout way. People sort of hear the North and the South, and they think the South is the bad guys, the North is the good guys. The North was not a pretty place to be. And so there were many investors and capitalists in the North that owned those slaves in the South. And so to answer your question, yes, there were free blacks in Ohio, but were they really free? In many cases, no. But it just so happened that Ripley was in the Virginia military district at the time, and there was a few settlement areas where free slaves were free, but it was still dangerous. Now, to get to your question, in Ripley, there was a man by the name of John Parker. He was a black man that had bought his own freedom. The story is absolutely horrific. He was born into slavery. He went from, what's the town in Virginia, Norfolk, to Richmond, was tied to another slave, walked there. Eventually, that slave was beat to death, whipped to death, and John Parker was marched in coffle chains on foot from Richmond, Virginia to Mobile, Alabama. That's how far they walked. Oh 400 my. slaves, yes, in coffle chains. Now, John Parker, who ended up in Ripley, there's a reason for this story. The only comfort that John Parker found on that walk to Mobile, Alabama was finding someone else in the, that uh, in the coffle chains that was more disadvantaged than him, is weaker than John Parker. And this wound up being his way of having, you know, having mercy and showing friendship on someone disadvantaged more than he was. Now, once he got down to Mobile, Alabama, he found a widow of a doctor, wealthy doctor, and he offered her $1,800 to buy him out of slavery. And he promised, if you will do that for me, I will work for you and give you $10 
a week until I pay you back with interest. And he did that. It took him uh, four years or something like that. He bought his own freedom. He wound up moving and marrying in Cincinnati and then moved to Ripley in 1849. And then he established a business right there on Front Street. You can go, a person can go and visit that today. The John Parker Ironwork, the John Parker Home. John Parker, a black man himself, helped some hundreds of slaves. He would work during the day at the foundry and design and patent product. At night, he was going over into Kentucky and snatching people from their bondage. And bringing them across the river. Yes, and he worked in conjunction at times with John Rankin. I see. My, oh my. Boy, what a tale. What a tale to tell. But you're not aware in in your research, you're not aware of any African-American or black people that actually helped capture the slaves for nefarious purposes that were working for the white man or whatever entity you want to call it. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not aware of any of that. I have no accounts of that. I'm, I'm not um, I'm not privy to any of that. Okay. Yeah, I did know. I'm just asking hypothetically. I've not heard much of, about that, but I do know that um, we had um, on this latest escapade that we have going on right now today, not the George Floyd when he was killed with the uh, alleged knee to the neck routine. But after that, the case of that gentleman named Tyree, you've heard of that individual. Yeah. Tyree had not one, not two, but five African-American officers on him. He is deceased, of course, now. They charged five and arrested five officers for that. Uh, Of the five, I was just reading, three of them did not have body camera footage, and they all allegedly had the body cams assigned to them. Three of them had no footage at all. The other two either had no audio on the footage or they had some other excuse. I don't know what it turned out, but they were not able to get body cam footage out of all five of them. And these are African-American people whose history is such as what you've just described. And I keep asking myself, Jim, why, given this history, would somebody stoop to that level? You would think they would want the best for themselves, for their fellow man, if you will. It seems as though when money is put in someone's hands, they do stupid and crazy things. If you know what I'm saying, they don't think right. Sure. Well, we live in a day and age where this quality of friendship is needed more than ever before. And no matter what we do, no matter whether we're a, you know, a police officer or a business person or an artist of some sort, a musician, uh, just uh, whatever we do, we can be a friend. A friend does things to benefit a relationship and and we can't tear you know tear that apart without some consequences uh, that's the thing that was lacking so much in those days you know in Ripley being such a hotbed of abolition it friendship became everything right that is so sad that with the people of color having history like what you're discussing in the town of Ripley and you have white individuals, especially John Rankin, who is known for it. He's risking being fined. He's risking being incarcerated. He's risking having his entire home perhaps burnt down or damaged and doing all this for the love of others. And it was not popular at that time for a white male and his wife and his sons to uh, assist the black slaves. That was not going to get them very far, but they did it because right is right, wrong is wrong, and I I don't think that lesson has changed today, but you know what? We still see right not being right and wrong being exhibited by those who should know better. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Walnut Hills uh, area of yeah, Cincinnati? Yes, yes. I, I mean, I'm no expert at it, but certainly I know where it is. Yes, I've been there. Have you? Have you? Oh, you not recently, you heard, but yes. Okay. Have you heard of Lane uh, College? No, but we have a Lane I mean, Library not- here in the area. There's a Lane Public Library. I don't know if that's related, but no, I've not heard of Lane College, no. Well, the the history is rich there, and it it just so happens that there was a connection with Lane and Ripley, and uh, that was a college where students were being trained and raised up to be anti-slave lecturers, and just, you know, it was really a well-positioned strategic location right there on the Ohio. And so Lane Seminary, this is where Harriet Beecher was going to school and her father was the president, Lyman Beecher. And so in 1834, there was a young man by the name of Theodore Dwight Wells. Anyone who really wants to understand the atrocity of the slave system should read that book, American Slavery as it is, Testimony of a Thousand Witnesses. There are thousand true life accounts of brutal brutality that uh, begs description. Well, Theodore Dwight Weld was there at student debate in 1834. Harriet Beecher was there, and so was John Rankin. And so they held these debates 18 days in a row, two and a half hours a day, and they featured a, a real slave. They also had on the panel people that had lived in the southern states, um, sons or daughters of slave owners, quite a texture of people there. And at the conclusion of those debates, the students voted, should blacks be colonized and sent back to Libya? Or should slavery be abolished? And they concluded at the end that now this shows, um, Rick, the the quality of friendship and advocacy of students. Students made a massive difference in that. Abolition, I can say from all the research I've done, because we can barely get into it today, students had a huge impact in the overturning of slavery. So they cast their votes uh, for immediate abolition. And boy, did they get in trouble for that. Because, you know, the college hierarchy, including Harriet Beecher, father was for colonization. What sense does that make anyway? You know, uh, bring millions of slaves over here and then send them all back? Well, are we all going to go back to where we came from? I mean, it's absurd. So anyway, they voted for abolition and uh, they got in trouble. Theodore Dwight Weld was immediately dismissed from the college and then 50 students decided to withdraw. And so they became the lame rebel and 40 of them went on to Oberlin, which I told you is another story, but that was a a safe town on the Underground Railroad. Right. Now they have a college there. Oberlin College is there. That's right. Oberlin was huge, and so was Ripley, and Cincinnati was, uh, this was quite a profound incident with the debate. And so Rankin was there. He defended the students. He wrote a pamphlet, a publication defending those students in 1835. Actually, by October of 1834, those students relocated to Oberlin to be under Charles G. Finney uh, at that college. They built special dorms for the Lane Rebels there at Oberlin. Very fascinating. So Harry Beecher, you know, that was 1834. And by 1836, she married Calvin Stowe. Calvin Stowe's first wife, who died, and I think she died in 1834 or five. I think it was 1834. She died. Guess what her name was? Eliza. Oh. And Harry Beecher Stowe used that name for the young mother that crossed the river with her baby, Eliza. So that's just kind of an anecdote. But um, the debates in Cincinnati were huge. Uh, Harry Beecher visited Rankin. Rankin visited those debates. There was a constant motion between those two towns. But the qualities of friendship and the qualities of influence for good, the the stories uh, go on and on. John Parker there on on the river. Uh, What a man. The Cincinnati newspaper called um, John Parker, called him, they called him um, a more fearless man never lived. And John Parker, because he would what he would do during the day and then at night tirelessly be going over there to Kentucky to free people. But the uh, little hill, uh, the big hill and the little house, 
it's quite stunning little view. And, you know, now it is preserved and renovated to look at the little red house. It was known to the slave catchers. You know, the slave catchers knew they had to do something about this house. It was a problem. But in all those years, and, and Rankin didn't, he, he bought the property for the purpose of helping these slaves, like I said, in 1828 or so. And, you know, he didn't move away until 1870. That's when they say the work was lastingly done. And he moved. He only bought the house to help the slaves. Only it's not like he bought the house and said, well, let's settle here and, hey, maybe we can help some slaves. No, I mean, he bought the house to help. That Well, that is the story that I had to get out because it seems to me, just like with what has happened with this Tyree case, I believe his last name was Nichols. It happened down in Memphis. There were five African-American officers that had been charged and arrested for his murder. All right, they got the predominance of the footage that they were watching from community cameras, which happened to be up on poles or up on buildings somewhere because it was a high crime area. The assigned body cams, they did not, three of the five didn't have on. I don't know about the other two, but I think if the other two had them on, they had no sound on. The sound was muted. So it was all screwed up. The taxpayers pay for the cameras to be bodily worn so we can get to the bottom of these cases. And three out of the five don't bother to even put it on their body. And the other two have allegedly had the sound turned off. This is bad. If you're crooked, Jim, if you're crooked, you could be black. If you're crooked, you could be white. If you have goodness in your heart, like John Rankin did all those years ago in the 1800s, he's helping the slaves on the Underground Railroad. And all these years later, we have five men of color arrested as officers that we're paying supposedly to keep the peace. And now we have a dead, deceased Tyree. And once again, if you have the spirit of goodness in your heart, you have it. It's not a thing of color. Would you say goodness is goodness? Badness, if I could use that word, is badness. It depends upon your integrity, your character. Would I be correct or am I all wet? Oh, absolutely correct. Yes. I mean, this is a, we have to raise the level of our commitment to being uh, committed to good, like you said. You can be an officer and enforce the law and still, you know, be a good person. And uh, it's a tragic story. I mean, we all know that the loss of life, Uh, but we can as people elevate our game and we need to the odds are getting greater and greater you know we have to put ourselves on the line like rankin put himself on the line you know this was his life and this needs to be our life to be better jim how often i the reason it has not changed is because there is this underlying sentiment uh, hey, nothing happened to me. Uh, uh, I'll get out of this. They'll, the the good old boy is going to protect me, you see. Oh, nonsense. The, what, tell that to uh, the man that killed uh, George Floyd. Mm-hmm. That Not even his union yeah. stepped up to uh, get him out of it. I believe he's incarcerated for the next 20-something years. Uh, there's a standard that we need to bear, and uh, that is to really... Uh, why not be extraordinary? You know, this is a subject of my book, and it's not all about, you know, I mean, we talk about having goals in our lives and having achievements, and that's that's all well and good, but, you know, I really want to expand my vision. Who can I help? Who can I be a friend to? Who can I be an unsung hero to? And it's not that you want to be an unsung hero in a, a vain sense. It's that a hero, I've learned, is simply a helper, Rick. I got a famous person here, Jim, that said this. Those who deny freedom 
to others deserve it not for themselves. And that is a quote from Honest Abe. Abe Lincoln, those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves. And, you know, I couldn't think of a more applicable quote than that. I agree wholeheartedly with it. Yeah. I love that quote, and I'll give you one that's right along the same line. And this came from John Rankin. Now, the thing is, he was egged. I mean, people threw eggs at him. No, I don't doubt that. Yeah. Just for helping people. No, Uh, that doesn't shock me. No. uh -uh. Here's what he said. Now, he had gone to another place to speak or something, and they were just tormenting him and threatening him. They wanted to kill him. And this is what he said. This is a quote. A lot of them swore most profanely what they would do to me if I were to come into their township to lecture. After all the argument I had just used to prove that all men should be free, it did seem as if some men were not fit for freedom. Yeah. So that's very similar to what you said. Right. Well, we have people to this day who are not being accorded life, liberty, and what the Constitution of this great country states that they already have. Why women and men have died to protect these rights, and some tyrant goes off and denies uh, individuals these rights when it's illegal, unethical, not necessary. I, I, I can go on. We can do the whole hour on nothing but that. Jim, it's wrong. It's flat, outright wrong. Why is it not changing quicker? I'll be happy to go into that on another hour, if you like. But the bottom line is when, quote, we have investigated ourselves and we have found that ourselves have done no wrong and we're stupid enough to allow that type of investigation to happen. And you wonder why it never comes up with any evidence. It's the most ridiculous nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Jim, I don't know how anybody can be that stupid to allow such a thing to go on and then wonder why everything remains the same. Nothing changes. Yeah. He that would have a friend needs to be one. And I think it's really important to expand our view of what it means to be a successful person. It's it's really not how much money we have or possessions or, you know, what we can tally on a sheet like that. And those have their place if they're kept in perspective. But the bigger view is, who am I being to someone else? And I always feel this, Rick, that if you deal out the best that you can toward others, you know, you can expect to partake of that. Ye shall reap what ye sow. Is that what you're saying? You will reap what you sow? That's another way to say it, right? Well, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Show me an honest black male or black female with integrity that's honest, that loves helping others, a person of integrity, and give me that individual 365 days a year rather than some crooked, lying, bigoted, white individual, I'm sorry to say it, that is a criminal. There is no doubt in my mind which I would rather prefer. Let me put it to you that way. Yeah. Uh, Looking at this history, you know, there there might be some people who think we shouldn't go back and look at these things. Yes, we should. Yeah, it is. Because it's not that you want to hurt yourself to it in an unhealthy way, but yes, we do need to understand it. Because I'll tell you what, there are plenty of African-Americans that would appreciate if we would understand some of this. And again, it's not to be... I mean, to me, to understand someone else's story, you learn and you grow and you double your life. That's the result. And if I distance myself from that story, that's kind of a problem. And so I I think that even most people in the U.S., I, I think truly black and white alike. So many of us don't know what really happened in those days. It's crushing to me to see what white slave owners did to those people. And that's why I recommend if anyone wants to just get a taste of it, just a little bit, is to access that book online, Theodore Dwight Weld, American Slavery As It Is, Testimony of a Thousand Witnesses, and you'll see what really happened. Because back in those days, the, the slave owners would say, hey, we're treating them well. We're giving them food. Yeah, a pint of corn a week. Yeah, yeah. 
who's going to match? Uh, so anyway, no, they were not treating being treated well. It was a lie. It's horrifying to me to think that we had this pervasive of a culture that these white slave owners were so entitled and so high-handed as to take the lives of these slaves. And, and I, I challenge someone to come up with a number of deaths of African-Americans in those days. It's probably not going to happen accurately because we didn't track the numbers. You didn't track the well, numbers correctly. Responsible. Nobody wanted the correct numbers back then. They still right. don't. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Imagine this. Imagine, uh, we hear about whippings. Hey, whatever you've heard about whippings of slave is understated. There were those that received 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 lashes with whips that had knots in them. And but, imagine receiving that many lashes on your back that you would be that laid open and then have brine or turpentine poured into those wounds. The sadist. Sadist. Shameful. I mean, I, uh, there was one girl that was flogged. They called it once every fortnight. That's once every two weeks all winter long. It, it, it's just beyond. And so I know because I've read that book and it's just scary to think that there's people that would do things like that to another human being. And what's scary to me is that we have a deceased Tyree right now and five African-Americans arrested, charged with his death as they carried the guns and wore the badges that you and I paid for. Where is yeah. the integrity? Where is the knowledge of what the African-American in this country and others have been through to where you leave that in the past, you better yourself, even the job that we hired them to do. They're able to buy a home. They're able to drive a car. Their children, if they so desire, are able to get an education. And that's great. And I'm delighted. But when you go killing people like Tyree and your career is over and you're going to spend God only knows how many years in the state pen for it, where is your mind? Are, are you out on one of those slave hunts again in the year 2023? I mean, where is your brain? Do you have one? Is your brain functioning properly? Uh, Jim, help me out. What's wrong? Yeah, I, I, I'm at a loss for things like that. The, the lack of humanity, um, obviously, is, is a bad thing. Um, Unsung Heroes Wear No Capes, the, you know, the title of my book, they wear no capes. They just personify certain kinds of virtues, you know, and friendship is one of them and love is another and courage is another and hope is another and um, uh, optimism is another and mercy is another. And these things, they kind of hang around each other, right? Well, and if we just, I find if we engage in one, the others kind of come along for the ride. I, I can't help if I'm going to love somebody, I'm probably going to encourage them too. I'm probably going to have hope for them too. I'm probably going to be a friend for them. I'm probably going to show some diligence toward them like Rankin. Uh, I'm probably going to um, do whatever it takes to show this, uh, you know, integrity like you're talking about. What I'm saying, Jim, is this. They're being encouraged all right. They're being encouraged by, well, like a child, remember? The child will do things with their, their cohorts, with their buddies that they would never do when that child is out there alone. They'll do things against what mom and dad taught them if they're with their buddies to prove themselves. But if they're by themselves, oh, they'll be a perfect angel. They'll know what's right and what's wrong. I think what's happening is that in a lot of these cases, including the Tyree incident we just had, yeah, you have five people in a row encouraging one another, probably high-fiving or whatever else they've caught others doing after the deed is done. An individual was dead on the ground and they encourage one another with 
the belief that for years we've gotten away with this and right now we're going to get away with this because nothing's going to happen. And you know what? The whole world, Jim, has a high definition video camera in their pocket. These days are coming to a close. Right now, everything that's happening is recorded somewhere. When I leave my home, I assume, and I'm pretty darn good at my assumption, that mostly everywhere I'm going to go, I'm going to be recorded. Be at the bank, be at the grocery, be at the shopping center, be at uh, the major freeways, the circle freeway, which circles greater Cincinnati, the the town of Cincinnati. I'm going to be recorded there. I'm going to be recorded on this interstate, that interstate. You know, cameras are everywhere. My advice to the kids, to the youth, the people that are coming up, assume that when you leave your home, you're on tape. My advice to the government workers, assume that you're being recorded because there is no reason a recording of your behavior should come back to haunt you. If you're doing the right thing, so what? Who cares? It's on tape. Whoopee. That means nothing. What is the big deal other than transparency? Some people, they can't handle it, Jim. They do not want transparency. They didn't want it in the John Rankin era, which is why he was threatened, and they don't want it today. Do you understand this, or am I all wet? Yes, I I totally agree with you. All righty. Tell me about the book and why you are going to release it, what caused you to just unsung heroes wear no capes, 12 essential virtues for an extraordinary life. Why did you feel the need to help others to have an extraordinary life because of incidents like Rankin? Do you feel that, uh, you know what, if there's a special place in heaven, for heaven's sake, I think John Rankin deserves to be there. I really do. Tell us why you're writing and why you're going to release the book. Jim, go ahead. Well, it's a bit like, you know, when they say when a person, uh, sometimes you hear stories of when a person's on the verge of dying, you know, their whole life flashes and before then they see everything, you know. I think in a way, that's what this book is for me. Just, it's like, well, why wait until you're in a tough spot to see your whole life? I wanted to see my whole life. I wanted to see what has brought me thus far. I wanted to reveal the things that I feel are most important uh, to put on a goal chart is how to be a better friend. Why isn't that on a goal chart? Uh, how about, you know, showing mercy on someone that needs it? Why can't that be on a goal chart? I mean, these are things that have helped me be the person I am today. We don't always need the credit for things that we do is one of the themes of the book, but you do them anyway, Rick. I don't have to know in advance that I'm going to get a fanfare about it, right? No, if that's doing correct. The right thing for the right. Yeah, right is right. right Uh, Jim, you don't think these naysayers we have out there killing people, uh, wearing a badge and a gun or or some other, uh, not just in the United States, I'm sure it goes on a lot of other places as well, but you don't think these people know that that's wrong? I contend not only do they know it's wrong, but they laugh at the whole thing. They do not think anything will happen because for years before the transparency, for years before the cameras came on the scene and the body-worn cameras, assuming they're turned on, and you can't always assume that, but for years, with can you imagine how many times people were killed without these when there was no cameras versus what's going on today, which is still ridiculous, even though we've got cameras. It's still not right with the cameras. Can you imagine what it was like without them? No, no. And that was the case, of course, in these stories we're talking about with Ripley, you know, and and in the South, and even incidents in the North, if we only saw on camera. I mean, these people were getting away with it. Why? Because they could. Because they could. That still applies today. Am I wrong? 
No, that's that's correct. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Because they could. That is so right. And oh would, my. Oh. I, I would agree with I would agree with you that people know often what they're doing is wrong. And the reason their conscience is telling them that, because when you hear defense and justification and rationalization, it's that person trying to override, in a sense, what, in a way, their conscience is telling them, hey, this is wrong. And it's almost like, well, you have to combat that voice within yourself and say, okay, I'm going to talk myself into that this was right. It's a little tidbit, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Oh, well, ask the young man that uh, put the knee to the neck of George, George Floyd, whether it was right. He may have another opinion about that other than the day when it happened. I would almost guarantee you his opinion is going to have changed since that day. You know, you don't think something is right if you're thinking correctly, right? Killing people for sport is not right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes. And regarding the George Floyd incident, the thing is that there were people around that scene begging him to stop. Yes. Yes. Well, they have Please the others, the, the others with him, they charge for, for uh, not jumping in and stopping it. And remember, they had a different case where a blonde female was on duty and she literally took the sergeant who was engaged in some type of uh, 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 alleged uh, brutality and she pulled him away. And didn't that guy turn around and choke her? Do you remember seeing that footage? I don't recall that. Oh, yeah. He choked her out. And she's a blonde, uh, a blonde uh, female, white female uh, that had pulled him off of of a situation where uh, she felt that the conduct was uh, abusive and excessive. And then that male that did that, uh, he they later, I think, brought him up and charged him for uh, the assault on his own officer. Well, isn't that kind of the way it goes when people help the disadvantaged, then they put themselves in that position. I don't know why that's true, but it's true with the Ripley story. You know, why Why would someone like Rankin or John Parker that, that are doing something so noble, why would their lives wind up being in the crosshairs also? This is just so totally wrong. It's just wrong. Was wrong then, it's wrong now. It'll be wrong tomorrow because you know what? Tomorrow's not here yet. But when it gets here, somewhere in this great nation, in one of the little towns, villages, hamlets, somewhere back in the back 40, you may not hear of it, but there's somebody's rights going to be trampled on like nobody's business if you even hear about it. Uh, it's, It's the saddest thing, and it's got to stop. And transparency is what we want, and we need an overhaul. You know, we the the entire system is flawed, Jim. It needs an overhaul. Will you go along with me? I absolutely will, and that is the purpose of the book: is to raise the level. It's to raise the level of our vision, what that means to be a helper, what it means to be committed to good, like you're talking about, and how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to do it with virtues like these. I call them virtues. You know, you could. Call them values. You could call them ideals, but they're the reason I guess I called them virtues is that uh, you know courage is a virtue, um, love is a virtue, faithfulness is a virtue. Uh, because I call them virtues because they're choice. Yeah, it's an ideal, but if I don't choose it and I'm not doing it, then. <laughs> You know, these are voluntary. It takes a decision to be committed to this kind of lifestyle. I want to raise the level. Who in the world has helped you? Rick, you probably have a lot of people help you get to where you are today. And you could probably talk all day about that. Oh, I can't. I could. So, uh, that's, um, that's I love every one for. of them. I'll bet you do. I'll bet you're so appreciative. And I, I'll bet you don't take any of them for granted. I'll bet you recognize it. No. And I think that's great. And I think there's a way that we can do that, be appreciative. And also, but not only that, but who are we going to help going forward? You know, being um, a helper of others is something attainable every single day. And do I have to have the applause? Absolutely not. 
you know, you're talking about the evil that's get, get, that gets done, you know, if it were on camera, you know, it might be a deterrent. But here's the thing, too. We can do good, and it doesn't have to be broadcast. I want to be happy enough to be a person that will do the right thing for the right reason, even if it's not being recognized. So that's why the title of the book, and that's um, just a little snippet. I, I call it also Exhortations to Excellence. All right, very well. You have a website, and if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how are they going to do that and tell them what your website is and where they can look you up? Uh, the website is jimbnorth.com. My email is um, jim at jimbnorth.com. I'm on social media platforms, Facebook author, Instagram, Pinterest, and uh, Twitter. Jack Canfield uh, co-authored Chicken Soup of the Soul, and he's endorsed the book. He's read significant parts of it and has made comments about it, about the importance of the material. And there's stories in it of unsung heroes, many stories, including Ripley, including Oberlin, including Black Wall Street in Tulsa, including Mr. Rogers in Pittsburgh in Latrobe. I spoke with Hedda Sherapan, who worked with him many, many years, and she talks about him. Uh, these are things they did without needing credit, per se. They did them anyway. Fred anyway, that's, Rogers. That's you, you, you talk to uh, 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 a guy th- about Fred Rogers? Mr. Uh, Rogers. To a woman named. Oh, you talked to a yes, woman, Mr. Rogers. Because yeah, he's definitely from yes. Pittsburgh. Yeah, she worked with him since the very first episode, and so she knows what she's talking about. And uh, uh, a person can read about that in the book as well. So uh, there's also a man named Jim Stovall who founded the narrative television network for the blind. Uh, he's helped millions of people watch television. Blind people. How do they do that? They insert little lines of dialogue in the audio. Describing the scenes. And then when they hear the dialogue and see the scenes, they're watching a movie. And he helped them do that. He's written many books. He's produced movies, The Ultimate Gift, and many, many others. And so uh, that story's in the book as well. Well, let me tell you something, Jim. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as a public servant, if you are doing what you are supposed to be doing, the fact that that is on camera should mean nothing other than, hey, I'm kind of glad it's there in case somebody out there not doing what they're supposed to be doing. At least I've got proof that that if I'm going to accuse them of that, that it is that it's occurring. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. And I think uh, that's a valid point. You know, these uh, cases you're talking about would never have been exposed without it being on camera. And so that's a good thing. Oh, that's such a very good thing. We're out of time, my friend. Jim B. North, everybody. Jim B. as in Boston. North. Author. Speaker. Award-winning writer. He is the author of the upcoming book, Unsung Heroes Wear No Capes. Twelve Essential Virtues for an Extraordinary Life. In his upcoming book, he will explore for you the concept of what it really means to be a helper of others. He maintains everyone is capable of being an unsung hero with a little inspiration and direction using the character virtues we all possess. And by that, does that mean that there's that little inner voice within you, Jim, where people, no matter what race, religion, color, creed, they know inside what's right and what's wrong. Is that what we all possess? We know what's bad and what's good. Absolutely. I think we all have an inward voice that speaks to us all the time. Absolutely. Are we paying it? Are we paying attention to it, or are we kind of pushing that one aside? I think it's really important to uh, live each day. You know, Zig Ziglar used to say, each day's a miniature lifetime, and he's right. Handle today and pay attention to that, you know, if you want to call it a still small voice, a dictate to the conscience. Those kind of gut instincts are reliable is what I've learned, and we don't want to ignore that and put it down. We want a life of integrity, and that's bringing all the facets of our lives into one. So we don't want to be kind of disjointed. Like, I want want my finances to be healthy, but I could care less about these relationships. No, we we want it all, right? Uh, We want a connection of those aspects of our life. And I think that that's possible by having an expanded vision for other people being 
being unselfish. And then we uh, find our place in other lives by fitting into what that need is. I can connect to you today, Rick, because of who you are, what you say, and I just, uh, I, you're my, you know, I've made a new friend. And so I'm a friend according to what I know about. I don't deal with Rick Flynn the way I would with someone else and just kind of try to drop that. And I, I think I'll just treat Rick like I do so and so. No, I try treat Rick like Rick. Well, I'm sorry, Jim, but Rick calls them as he sees them, you see. And uh, that's what I'm kind of known to do. I apologize if I've hurt your sensitive little feelings out there. But you know what? It is Black History Month. We had a little discussion about a white male named John Rankin who put a lot on the line and over 2,000 slaves saved because of the goodness of that man's heart. Does that mean there weren't evil white men out there? Oh, I know there were plenty of them because there's plenty of them out there right now. But you know what? You've got character issues that are prevalent in all races. It's about your character. It's about your integrity. It's about right versus right, what you call virtues we each possess. And when a camera is shined on one with bad virtues, no wonder the cameras don't get turned on. No wonder they mute the sound. No wonder they don't want to release this, that, or the other for whatever lies they're going to make up of, uh, about, oh, we can't release this for such and such reason, which is all a bunch of crap. Every body <laughs> camera should be released for whomever needs it released. I don't care what it is. The only thing that should not be allowed to be released is if that officer or officers, plural, would be using the facilities in a bathroom. I will go along <laughs> with editing that out, but that's all. <laughs> okay. It should be illegal. Yeah, you don't want to release that, although, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, as sure as I say that, you know what's going to happen? They're going to, every time, every time a new murder is committed, somebody going to be using a bathroom at that time and there's going to go the footage. Uh, I can tell you that right now and it hadn't even happened yet, Jim. Oh, don't Love your get, humor, Rick. Oh, don't get me going. Ladies and gentlemen, there we have it. I'm sorry. I calls them as I sees them. So get ready. <laughs> We're about to have constipatory problems here the minute the... Oh, don't. No, let's not go there. All right. Ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our special guest today, author and speaker Jim B., as in Boston, North, jimbnorth.com, the upcoming book, Unsung Heroes, Wear No Capes, 12 Essential Virtues for an Extraordinary Life. He told you his website. He told you where to get a hold of him. Look for the book. It'll be out soon. I'm sorry if I really offended your sensitive souls, but like I say, the truth often hurts. Let's do what we can to make this world a better place and not lie our way out of it. Okay, how does that sound? everybody. Thank you for tuning in. New show next Wednesday and we'll see you then. Good night. Rick, I've really enjoyed being on the show with you today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.